0: Hello friends and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back my friends to today's episode of Everyday Truth. Don't have a postcard today, but I do have a gift card that somebody sent me here, a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. So thanks for that. I will put that to good use, I promise you. Given anonymously, but the Lord knows who you are. Uh, Mark chapter number 10. uh, We're in uh, this chapter for our episode today. Uh, Last episode talked about the importance of receiving uh, the truths of God entering into the kingdom of God uh, through the faith of a child and how important it is not only to be like a child in that sense, but also to to engage in children's ministry, to forbid them not, to suffer those little children to come unto Christ. We're in uh, verse number 17 now uh, of our text, and this is a familiar story. Sometimes misunderstood, so hoping to bring some clarification today. Uh, If you're following along, verse number 17, and and when he was gone forth into the way, uh, there came one running and kneeled at him or kneeled to him and asked him. So whoever this is, already there's a sense of urgency. He's running. There's a sense of humility. He's kneeling. There's a sense of of deficiency. He's asking. He needs something. So already, the story has my attention. And watch what the man says in verse number 17. He says, good master, good teacher, that would be, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Really an odd question. Good master, so a very respectful way by which Jesus is being addressed, good master, and then what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's almost like a, a study in contrast to the question, uh, like an oxymoron. What must I do to inherit? Well, an inheritance really speaks to relationship, not performance— so inheritance, we, my children will inherit my estate one day, whatever that may be, probably my, my, probably my debts, uh, by virtue of their relationship with me, not by virtue of their performance. But here the man seems to conflate the two, doing, inheriting. What kind of question is this? I think his desire, obviously, is for eternal life. And how will Jesus answer this? We call this man here the, the rich young ruler. Watch what it says in verse number 18. This is found in the other gospels, the other synoptics, Matthew and Luke. And so you can study those parallel passages if you'd like. Uh, Watch what Jesus says in answer to the man. Verse number 18. And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now, Jesus is not saying here that I'm not God. He's not—he's not in some way denying that he's good. He's simply clarifying to this man, well, why are you calling me good? You, you view me as a human teacher. You view me as uh, a, a rabbi, but you're calling me good. That's a title that's reserved for God. There, there's a there's a definition of goodness that you're not applying here. You're, You're applying goodness to the level of humanity when it really, in essence, describes God. So I think what Jesus is doing first here is he's qualifying this man's definition of good. Is he not? Okay, look at verse number 19, where Jesus continues and says, thou knowest the commandments. So now he speaks to the part of the question where the man says, Good master what must I do? So he deals first of all with the adjective good. What why are you defining good this way? Good defines God. Good is an absolute term of description for God. And then he says and you've asked about doing, okay? So you know what the Bible says about doing and what Jesus does is gives an example of doing it goes right back to the uh the 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 Ten Commandments, which which in many ways um, symbolize all of what the doing of the God's law involves. Look at verse number nineteen. Thou knowest the commandments: Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not honor thy father and mother. These are all the dues. And he's not listing all of them, obviously, but he's giving him a representation. Look, you know what the Bible says. You know all the dues in the law. So if you're asking what you must do, uh, then I'm going to give you the dues. Now, is this in any way giving credence to works salvation? I mean, I thought the Bible says we're not saved by works. I thought the Bible says that the law cannot save us. I thought the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. According to his mercy, he saved us. Well, all, all of that is true, but that's not what the man asked. The man asked, what must I do? What must I do? He, he really thinks that law keeping and a standard of law keeping is the entrance into heaven, or at least the, the way by which to obtain eternal life. And so Jesus is answering the narrow question the man has the man, the man asked. And ultimately, what Jesus is trying to demonstrate is what the law's purpose is. And that is that in trying to do and looking at the standards of God and looking at all the do's and the do nots, what we really learn is that we don't measure up. What we l- really learn is that God's standard of goodness is nothing that you and I can attain unto we all come short of that glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so what does the law do? The law is that righteous standard of God that cannot be fulfilled by man. That, that is the mirror that exposes us for who we are. Remember, the Apostle Paul said the law was added. The Abrahamic covenant was given 430 years before the law. The law was added because of transgressions because people weren't seeing themselves as sinful. And so the law was kind of like that schoolmaster to teach us, we need Christ, or we need Christ. And yet this man is not seeing the law that way. This man is seeing the law as a means of salvation, which was it was never intended to be. So Jesus is kind of going along with this question to say, okay, if you want to go down the pathway of do, then do, 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 do this, what you already know. Now, he knows that there's no way. His conscience is is no doubt accusing him. There's no way that he could keep the law. Well, watch what it says in verse number 20. And he answered and said unto him, Master. So he doesn't call him good master now. He's taken the rebuke of Jesus. Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Yeah, I've done all that. So Jesus listed five or six aspects of the law. And from this man's standpoint, from this man's perspective, yeah, I've done all that. Yeah, I've never killed anybody, never committed adultery. Yeah, I've never stolen. Yeah, from the time I've been a little boy, I have carefully observed all of these. You know, Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And a person who does not see himself as a sinner cannot be saved. We must first see our need. And this man, as a rich, young ruler, probably ruler meant a ruler of the synagogue because he, he's a Jew, obviously, so he's not a Roman ruler. So he's probably somebody that has been well acquainted with the law, someone who's fastidiously followed the law, someone who's very sincere, who tries hard, but he just doesn't see himself as sinful. He sees himself as somebody that is measuring up. And yeah, I've checked all those boxes Uh, good master. Well, watch what it says here in verse number 21. Then Jesus beholding him loved him. And I love that because that helps us to understand that Jesus is not toying with this man. Jesus is not using him in some calloused way as an illustration and letting him go to hell because he's going to let him walk away. No, Jesus truly loves him as he loves everybody. Jesus has compassion on him. He, he wants him to see himself. Sometimes the hardest people to love are people that don't think they do anything wrong. Sometimes the hardest people to love are the people that think they have it all put together. And this man truly thinks, yeah, I have measured up. I don't need to have any commandment uh, given to me because I've kept them all. But Jesus loves him. He sees people beneath the veneer of religiosity. He sees below the surface of this man's pretended righteousness to see the sinner that he is, the elder son that he is, the one who desperately needs the Lord but doesn't realize it yet. So how will Jesus show this man that he does not measure up? How will Jesus in love demonstrate to this man that that you are not keeping the law and that you truly do not understand or obey the essence of the law, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, watch what it says here in verse number 21. Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Do you see that? One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, whatever whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor that thou shalt have and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come, take up the cross, follow me. And Jesus and, and he was sad at that saying. why? Because Jesus really pinpointed where this man's trust was. He really pinpointed what this man's faith was in his riches, his, his goodness, and and hey, give it all up. If you really have this heart and the man walked away sad for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, it's very difficult for people that have stuff very difficult that people that have the, the goods of this world, for them to, to trust the Lord completely for their salvation. Why? Because they don't see their real need. They don't see themselves through um, through accurate lenses. Uh, the Bible talks about, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom uh, that he has promised? Uh, the rich men, the Bible says in James chapter 2, they're the ones that, that don't see themselves as readily. Why? Because riches blind us. That's why the writer of Proverbs said, uh, don't give me so much that I forget about God. Don't give me so little that I curse God, but give me bread sufficient for me that I might just trust God, rely upon Him, and live a life of simplicity. Why? Because that's the greatest way by which we can live a life of faith. Is that saying that God doesn't want us to be rich? No. If God's blessed you with resources, and, and by world standards, all Americans are rich, regardless of your income. You're rich by world standards. Is it wrong to have stuff? No. But it is wrong for stuff to have you. And stuff can neutralize your decision for Christ, for salvation. And stuff can get in your way in spiritual growth because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches can choke the word of God in our life. So a lot to be said about that. Uh, But this man, it kept him from even salvation itself because it was something in which he was placing his trust. Now, the disciples have some questions about this. And we'll give some more answers uh, in our next podcast. But for now, we're out of time. Hope that uh, you have a great day in the Lord. And we'll see you next time. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.